0: welcome to a beggar who found bread i am brad alexander your resident beggar and host i found bread and i want others to know where i found it with no sleight of hand or illusion the bread of life messiah yeshua this episode it's magic props to the cars for the title on this episode led by Rick casick the cars were formed in 1976 and off to the scrap heap in 1988 Though they did reunite, yeah, they rebuilt that engine in 2010, produced the album Move Like This, trying to shake it up one more time. Their tour lasted only three weeks. That's not real good. It seemed the good times just wouldn't roll anymore. They were no longer moving in stereo. The cars were abandoned on the side of the road of continued rock and roll dreams. Alas, the magic was gone. All right, let's move on here because we're not pulling rabbits out of a hat and it's not about the music, it's about the message. It's magic. Justification is to be made righteous in the eyes of God. Justification. Now, there is a teaching or a doctrine regarding justification. The premise of it is when we are justified by faith in God, it is justified, never sinned. And I've uttered those words before. I'm kind of cringing as I think about this because I have and I apologize and I repent if I have used that phrase around you because I I, I believe it to be a crucial error that I'm justified. So that means it's justified, never sinned, just as if I had never sinned. I don't believe scripture bears that out. See, the theory is that When we are in Messiah, we are justified by faith and that God sees us as innocent, as though we had never sinned. I don't believe scripture supports this doctrine or teaching. See, there are are lots of paths that we can go down as we pursue this, like imputed righteousness. And that is the doctrine that basically says God's righteousness has been transferred to us through Messiah Yeshua. I hope that we can get into that a little bit, Lord willing, during this episode, that we can touch on that some. But as to justification and, and what it means, and that I believe it, it cannot mean God sees us as though we have never sinned. And, and here is why. One, we are absolutely guilty. We have been found guilty by the great God and judge of all, Adonai Elohim, the Lord our God. In his mercy and grace, through the atoning sacrifice of Messiah Yeshua, he has forgiven us. He has pardoned us. Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7. These are This is a favorite passage of mine. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Oh, I love that passage. We see in this passage that we are to return to Adonai, the Lord. Returning is a reference to repentance. In repentance, we turn away from our sin, from our unrighteousness, from our wicked ways, and we return to the ways of Adonai Elohim, the Lord our God. So we repent, we return to him, and he will abundantly pardon. Here's the modern English definition of the word pardon. To use the executive power of a governor or president to forgive a person charged with a crime or convicted of a crime, thus preventing any prosecution and removing any remaining penalties or punishments. It does not mean one becomes innocent, but rather forgiven. See, we've been convicted, guilty, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Adonai uses his executive power to forgive and remove any remaining penalties or punishments. Remember, the wages of sin is death. That is the penalty or the punishment we were due. The Father has pardoned us because of Yeshua's sacrifice, God's loving kindness. He sees us as forgiven, pardoned and he knows the price that was paid for our atonement when we go through hebrews chapter 9 and 10 we read that the high priest would go into the holy of holies once a year with the blood of sacrifices the high priest intercedes on behalf of god's people he offers the sacrifice standing in the gap interceding for the people and their sin Our great high priest, Yeshua, ever lives to intercede for us. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 through 25. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the utmost Those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He paid the price through his sacrifice on the torture stake, the crucifix, and he ever lives making intercession for those who draw near to God through him. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. When we think of intercession, We think of people praying on behalf of others, standing in the gap, and that's an accurate definition, and I believe Yeshua does fulfill that role in his intercession for us, but the greater work or the greatest work of his intercession is in the atonement. Our great high priest is ever before the Father. God sees us through the sacrifice of his Son. He sees us as pardoned, forgiven. He cannot see us as though we have never sinned because if that's the case, it would discount or obliterate the price that was paid. He would have to forget the price he paid, which of course he, he cannot, and he will not even Yeshua's resurrected body still had the nail holes in it and still had the hole in his side where the, where he was pierced with that spear. But Brad, scriptures say that God will remember our sins and lawless deeds no more. So if he forgets them, he sees us as innocent, as though we have never sinned because he can't remember it. I am really glad that you brought that up. Because Jeremiah 31, the end part of verse 34. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Hmm. There are other passages as well throughout scripture that say similar things that God will remember sin no more or forget iniquities. So if he doesn't remember them, he sees me without them. He's forgotten them. Never happened. Sees me as as sinless. We have to remember something. Okay. The Hebrew language has roughly 4,000 words in it. Modern English has over 100,000 words in it. So, the Hebrew word for remember is zakar, Z-A-K-A-R, and it means to recall, to bring to mind, or to intervene. This word is actually used really often in the scriptures. In Genesis, we see some examples of this word. In Genesis 8.1, it says, but God remembered Noah. Now, remember, this is After the great flood. So the flood is up, the water is up, and God remembered Noah and then subsequently caused the waters to subside. Do we think God forgot about Noah and then was like, oh, wait, that's right. Noah and his family, they're still floating around on that ark. Wow, I I should do something. I better make those waters recede. Of course not. God intervened. When it says God remembered, God intervened on behalf of Noah. And caused the waters to recede. And the same is true as in in Genesis. And there's other places as well where we read where God remembered Rachel and he opened her womb that she would bear children. Adonai did not forget about Rachel. Again, he intervened on her behalf. And we had actually a really good discussion about some of this today at our Torah study and how... It's not that God forgets like we humans forget or how we in in modern Western culture would define forgetting. Because, I mean, with Noah, him and his family were the only people alive at that point. They are the only ones alive. God, I can assure you, he didn't forget them. When it says he remembered them, he intervened on their behalf. And as part of our discussion today, it's not that it's not that God forgets them, but God intentionally will allow people to go through things. And he will not intervene on their behalf until his appointed time. And so he then intervened on behalf of Noah and caused the waters to recede. He intervened on behalf of Rachel. And opened her womb that she, that she could have children. When it was his appointed time. And then the, the Hebrew word for forget. There's two words actually. One is shakach and the other is nasha. And they can mean ignore, neglect, forsake or disregard. But these things don't have to do with memory loss. Or what we deem Forgetfulness. Even as Adonai warns his people in Deuteronomy, he warns his people not to forget his covenant with them. He has a covenant with his people. He warns us, don't forget it. Well, it's not that, that back then they, or even in modern days now, that we forget we have a covenant with God. It wasn't about memory lapse and, and, and us not knowing that we have a covenant with him. It's... That we would, that we have a tendency to neglect it, to get distracted and disregard it. That's on us when we when we forget His covenant. But it's not that it's totally gone from our brains and, and it just completely disappeared. So Isaiah forty nine fifteen says, "Can a woman forget her nursing child that she would have no compassion on the son of her womb?" And the implication here is, well, no, it's not very likely that a woman is going to forget a child she birthed. This passage continues. Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. So even if a mother did forget the child of her womb, God says he won't forget his people behold he has us engraved on the palms of his hands and we have to see the messianic reference here we are engraved on the hands of Yeshua those nail prints he will not forget he will not ignore us neglect us he said he will never leave us or forsake us his people so when we look at God um, and we use this word "forget," or we we use the the phrase "remembering our sin no more it's not that the hard drive has been wiped clean it's not that he is forgetful or has selective memory loss or amnesia. May it never be. He is just God is not calling our sins and iniquities to his mind. Meaning he will not bring them back up regarding penalty and punishment. He is not recalling them upon us. We see that there are times in scripture where to certain people, Adonai actually says he will not forget their sin. There are some people he said that about. He is not going to forget their sin and he is going to revisit it upon them. Meaning he will hold it against them and meet out due punishment. See, we are guilty people. We are convicted and deserving of the death penalty. God, in his great love, mercy, and grace has abundantly pardoned us through Messiah Yeshua because of the atoning sacrifice made on our behalf. God chooses or refuses to bring those offenses back up. They have not magically disappeared as though they never existed. They have been atoned for. The Hebrew word kafar, means atone and what what the definition of the word is is to cover over our sins have been covered over by the sacrifice of Yeshua HaMashiach our great high priest who ever lives in the true holy of holies interceding for us if God truly forgot our sin as we understand what the word forget means where is the need for continued intercession Yeshua ever lives to intercede for those who have drawn near to God through him. Likewise, I believe that there is no magical transfer or imputation of God's righteousness to those who follow Messiah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. slow your roll, Brad. That, my friend, is contrary to the word of God. Okay, I believe that that is an incorrect interpretation of the scriptures. And what I said is definitely contrary to some translations of the scriptures and of a doctrine built on 15th, 16th, and 17th century Christianity in Europe. But it's not actually from the scriptures, I do not believe. So you can read in the Westminster Smaller Catechism. Question number 33 asks about imputed righteousness. And it gives a definition of it. And they even cite, cite some scriptures. So to impute would imply the righteousness, the holiness, the purity of God is transferred to us by believing in Christ Jesus, Messiah, Yeshua. The Greek word that is translated as imputed is the word logizomai. L O G I Z O M A I. Logizomai. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correct. But what that word means is here are the definitions to reckon, count, charge with, reason, decide, conclude, think, or suppose. It does not mean to transfer. Or to impute. That is not a definition of this word. And that is the word that is used in the places where it is translated as imputed. That is a poor translation. And it leads to a doctrine of, I'm now the righteousness of God. Perfect, infallible, holy, and just. Regardless of how I live my life, it doesn't matter because... I put my faith in Jesus, and so now I'm the righteousness of God. I'm rubber, sin is glue. It'll bounce off me and stick to you. Something like that. So we see in Romans and in other places, um, and we read many, many passages that say Abraham believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was counted to him, not God's righteousness was transferred or imputed to him because he believed. We need to also remember, we talk about faith, justified by faith, being justified by faith. As James said, faith without works is dead. We know of Abraham's faith and the faith of other people because of what they did, their deeds and their works of faith. Listen to the a little less conversation episode for more on that, but th- there are works of faith. That's how we know because if you have that faith, if you believe it is going to cause something to happen, you are going to do something about it. And again, that's why we know about these people because they did something. Their faith moved them. 2 Corinthians 5, says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So this is commonly taught as a transfer. Yeshua became sin and we became righteousness. So there is this sudden abracadabra, you're righteous. And I don't believe this is what scriptures reveal Read that completely in its context, what it's saying. And it flows into uh, chapter six and verse one. And it's talking about working together for the kingdom of God. So please read that, keep it in its, in its full context. So I don't believe, again, that this, this, this transfer is what scriptures reveal. Well, hold on then. How do we become the righteousness of God in him as the scriptures state? Because it does, it says it right there. That in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So, I'm glad you asked that. We see in Jeremiah 31 and in Hebrews that God will write his law on our hearts and put it uh, it on our minds. And he also says, uh, as Ezekiel prophesied, that he will put his spirit within us. And that we... That we will, with his spirit within us, we will be careful to observe his commands. So, being in him, that is being in Messiah, means we are his. If we are his, we are no longer our own. And we are walking and doing as he did. It does not mean, I said a prayer and now I am as righteous as God. God writes his law, his Torah, on our hearts that we will live it. Romans 2, starting at verse 13, this is an amazing passage. For it is not the hearers of Torah who are righteous before God. Rather, it is the doers of Torah who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the Torah do by nature the things of the Torah, they are a law to themselves, even though They do not have the Torah. They show that the work of the Torah is written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts switching between accusing or defending them on the day when God judges the secrets of men according to my good news through Messiah Yeshua. It is the doers of Torah Who will be justified. Yes, we are justified by faith, and our faith causes us to do the works of God. The works of God, the doers of His Torah. In addition to writing His Torah on our hearts, God has given us His Spirit. In John 14, Yeshua said this If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the father and he will give you another helper. So he may be with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him. You know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Why did Yeshua say the comforter was coming? Well, further on, he says that so we wouldn't feel abandoned, that we we wouldn't be abandoned or alone. And in the beginning of this passage, he says, so we will keep his commandments. He empowers us to do so by sending his comforter. And we will keep his commandments if we love him. He does not have different commandments than the father. As he said in John chapter seven, verse 16, Yeshua answered, My teaching is not from me, but from him who sent me. His doctrine is the father's and the word of God endures forever. We read also in 1 John chapter 3, everyone practicing sin also practices lawlessness. Indeed, sin is lawlessness. Lawlessness. You know that Yeshua appeared in order to take away sins and in him, there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who sins has seen him or known him. Children, let no one mislead you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as Yeshua is righteous. The one who practices sin Is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Ben Elohim, the Son of God, appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God practices sin, because God's seed remains in him. He cannot sin because he is born of God. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. It goes back to what we just read from Romans chapter 2. Verse 13, so how do we know of Yeshua's righteousness? How do we know of his righteousness? Because it says the one who practices righteousness is righteous just as Yeshua is righteous. Well, we know of Yeshua's righteousness because he lived it, he practiced it. He obeyed God's word, his Torah of truth. We also see that we cannot go on practicing sin or intentionally sinning, transgressing God's law. In Hebrews 9, we read, Now, with these things prepared this way, the priests, Kohenim, do continually enter the outer tent while completing the services, but into the inner, once a year, the high priest, Kohan Gadol, alone, and not without blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. Interesting phraseology. We see in Numbers chapter 15, the description of unintentional sins and what is to be done as far as sacrifice goes for repentance and atonement for those sins. Then we read in verse 30 of Numbers chapter 15. But the person who sins defiantly, whether native or outsider, reviles Adonai. And that person is to be cut off from his people because he has despised the word of Adonai and has broken his commandment. That person will certainly be cut off. His guilt will remain on him. What John wrote in 1 John 3, lines up with this passage in Numbers. We cannot declare a transfer of God's righteousness to us, but rather he has provided for us the means to live righteous as Messiah Yeshua lived. He put his law on our hearts. He wrote it on our hearts. He put it on our minds. He filled us with his spirit that we could live that life as always. Please, please study to show yourselves approved of God. I am not trying to stir things up for the sake of causing conflict. I am trying to bring forth what I see as the truth of God's word and trying to expose some things that have been seen or shown as doctrines that are deeply entrenched in Western Christianity that I do not believe line up with scripture. So please study God's word. My desire is that we... God's people, both Jew and grafted in Gentile, would in gratitude for his grace, mercy, love and forgiveness, live the life to which he has called us in him, that is in Messiah Yeshua. Again, I'm just a beggar. I found the bread of life, Messiah Yeshua, in whom is eternal life. And there is no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved, but Messiah Yeshua. So let there be no mistake. Our confidence cannot be in ourselves, our abilities and our own righteousness. It is all about him and what he has done for us. It is all about him. Salvation is by grace through faith in Messiah Yeshua. Now let's go out and give him heaven.